I like some of the best relationships, but like the strongest relationships I've seen, weren't fo so focused on the definition, but were just focused on sh how they show up for one another. And that's kind of my ideal: is labels aside, how are we showing up for each other? And like every day, waking up and want and committing to growing together. And so everything else, I think, kind of falls to the wayside compared to that. Today on Beyond Dating, Brian shared with us his experiences dating as a black man in America. Our sponsor for today's episodes is Beyond, the newest dating app in town. Check it out at datebeyond.co. I like this power stance that you got here. You're like that BDE stance. Man, you know? <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> Closer. Man spreading? Is that what it is? What? Man spreading? Man spreading? Yeah. I'm going to do that too. <laughs> 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 They're just gonna get better and better every yeah. day. <laughs> <laughs> so what is man spreading? I honestly? think it's just, you know, living your best life while sitting down. So you gotta like this. Yeah, you gotta, yeah. This is getting I, me in I touch. think that's you're not quite there, but like a little bit more. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. If I go like that, yeah, you know? Exactly. This yeah. divine masculine energy yeah. right now there is very that's, happy. That's exactly <laughs> <right>. <laughs> what else do like you know, men do? You know, well, you know, the uh, you walk into a room and then you just try to stand a little bit taller. Yeah. And then you're just like, yeah, exactly. You're like, raise the chin just slightly. Mm -hmm. And then just kind of like peacock a little bit. Like this. Yeah. I'm a peacock yeah. all over this place. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm unhinged right now. <laughs> okay. So, you know, do you like to peacock? Uh, I, I think I do actually. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How does it make you feel? You know, it's not that I go into it trying to peacock. Mm -hmm. I think I just want to feel like kind of like my best self. Mm -hmm. And that version of my best self is me peacocking. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But it, it usually is like, sometimes it's like a lot of color. Yeah. Sometimes it's just how I, how I tell stories, okay. how I use my hands. <laughs> <laughs> Don't use your hands. There's a microphone here. Yeah. <laughs> Be careful. <laughs> uh, Okay, so do you have any fun stories about peacocking and embracing your masculinity? Oh, I do, actually. Mm -hmm. uh, in Norway, actually, this is a trip I was on with uh, Eric. He, uh, we were visiting a friend of his. And Norway, I don't know if you've ever been to Norway, but it's a very, it's pretty monoculture, you know? So, like, by being a black man in Norway, I'm already peacocking. <laughs> um, and but what was great is we went to this party, and... The style in Norway is very, it's actually in Oslo, it's very similar to New York. It's like very black forward, monochrome, like, you know, very like simple. And for some reason, the first night out, we were going to a party and I decided to wear all white. Like I was like, I was going out in Miami. I was like, I'm going to wear all white. And so I walk into this party and not only am I like the only black man, but I'm also dressed in all white in like a sea of just black outfits. And so, and so this guy walks up to me and this is actually the first time someone had ever called me out for peacocking. And he's like... So he's like, peacocking. And I'm like, what? And I thought it was like this Norwegian slang, like whatever. And he's like, no, you're just like standing out. Wait, a guy called you out on peacocking. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, for wearing all white. Wow. Yeah. 
I don't usually see guys like calling guys out for peacocking. I feel like yeah. usually it's like a girl thing, or at least from what I've seen. I think he's a bit intimidated. Ooh, okay, yeah. what's the like like? You know, being a guy, like, do you get intimidated by other guys? Like, what do you do when you, when you feel intimidated or like when you intimidate others? Like, what's your response? I don't often get intimidated. Uh, it's like awkwardness and intimidation are things that I, like, very early on, I think, kind of didn't, maybe I didn't grasp them well enough to feel them. Uh, but in the moments where I do get intimidated, I think it's really around, you know, if I'm operating in the same sphere as someone and they're like very successful. And then there's this mix of intimidation, maybe a little bit of jealousy, but also curiosity around like, how did they get to where they are? But it's not something that I internalize too much. And I think part of that is, you know, being self-focused enough to try and find my own successes. And after a certain point in life, you just realize, look, you know, most people in most, most situations don't really know what the hell they're doing and they're just kind of like going going along and they do it long enough that they become successful mm -hmm. and you try to emulate that in that even if you don't know what you're doing just don't be intimidated by the situation just try um fail get better and then eventually you know that that sort of sense of intimidation kind of falls away so what was your process like like when you've when you've had a failure like what do you do to pick yourself back up from it yeah, I think I think failure is a very interesting thing because when I have a failure, it takes a bit before I truly internalize the like growth process of the failure. I mean, I think I try to just sit in it a little bit and understand it. And I'm I'm naturally critical, like not self-critical, but critical in that like I think through um like cause and effect. I think through like what were the steps that happened along the way. So there's almost like this diagnostic part that goes on before I really kind of pick myself up through the failure. And I, I think the diagnostic is actually the picking myself up, but I really try to be critical and understand how did, how did I go from, I was trying to go from A to B, I ended up A to C, or I ended up A to A and a half. And what are the steps I need to do to, to kind of get the full way or to kind of do it again and, and, and learn from the mistakes. But for me, failure is, it's almost like you have to fail. It's like a, it's a necessity, but also it's an inevitability. Like there are things that you, we start life as a blank slate and we don't know anything. Most of life is just failing and then learning and then succeeding the next time. And so if I look at the things I'm really successful at now, they're just a series of failures that culminated in knowing how to do it. And so once you have that perspective, failure becomes something that is almost, it's almost energizing because, you know, as long as you have, a, you know, you have enough, chances to do it again you have enough runway to sort of keep trying i think failure is almost as motivating as it can be de demotivating so how do you apply this to the way you date this is actually that's interesting because i think i was i used to be a lot more intimidated by failure in dating like i think i think particularly you know in my teen years thinking about dating as you know, you have to have this like magic formula to date the person that you want and like really putting even the idea of dating on a pedestal. And, and then at some point, I think after like maybe my first or second breakup, I realized I kind of like had this like aha moment of most relationships you're going to be in will not, and almost every relationship you're in will not make it through to the end of your life. 
And so there's an element of that that is failure. Like, you know, you're not, if success is, I find someone, that one person, you know, I commit to a life with them and we grow old together and they're on my deathbed. And, but that's not dating. Dating is actually the series of failures to try and find, um, maybe not necessarily try and always find like a life partner, but really to try and find um, the best expression of yourself within a relationship. And sometimes you have to fail to find what that self-expression looks like. So what, I mean, you, you, you're so open and like, <laughs> this is like really interesting, especially like I haven't talked to a lot of men who are, you know, have these perspectives, yeah. I guess, on dating. So like, where does that come from? Yeah, I think, you know, I think part of it is, an identity, like part of it's like mm-hmm. when I show up in dating, I'm showing up as myself, I'm showing up as a mm-hmm. black male, I'm showing up as a child of immigrants, I'm showing up as um, all the idiosyncrasies, all the idiosyncrasies that make up who I am as a person. Mm-hmm. And so I don't think there's this like magic, you know, formula that I've realized. I think part of it is just trying to be as authentic as I can, like to who I am. And when I do that, I just find I enjoy dating more. Mm-hmm. You know, there's like, I think a lot of early dating was trying to pretend what I think you needed to show up as when you date someone or when you're in a relationship. Mm-hmm. And as I've grown old, older, I realized one, faking it is really, really hard. It's like, it takes a lot of work. It's like, you know, they say like, it's easier to tell the truth, not because, not only because it's the right thing, but, you know, a series of lies is just a series of things you have to remember. And at some point, you know, you just won't remember how to, how to exist in that lie. And I think it's the same thing when you think about how you show up as yourself and when you think about authenticity is if you try to play all these characters that you're not, it actually starts to become a burden on yourself. And so it became easier and freeing, more freeing for me to just first identify who I am, like as like, like what it is that makes me sort of tick? What is it that makes me energized? Um, and then be that and be that unapologetically. And that's when I found a lot more freedom in dating, a lot more, um, again, authenticity in dating. And that's how I should try to show up. Do you have any tips then for men to, you know, be more authentic and you know, share that when they're dating? Yeah, I think it's funny dating as a guy because, you know, there's, I think there's this dichotomy of dating as a boy mm-hmm. and dating as a man. And like there are men who still date like boys they date as like, this is like, it's like a conquest. It's like an achievement. It's like about the success. Mm-hmm. And I think dating as a man, but really dating as a human is first identifying, like doing the inner work to understand yourself. Because if you can't show up as yourself, you'll actually end up attracting the wrong energy or attracting energy that's not sustainable. So the first step is self-discovery and really... You know, maybe it's spending time where you're not dating, where you're just dating yourself, where you're just learning what it is to enjoy being out in life. And what are, what are your interests? Like, what are your real interests? Not just like watching football and drinking. Like, what are, you, what are the things that really make you tick, that really make you want to show up every day with like verve and energy? And then when you get to that point of like, hey, I understand myself. And some of that comes with age. Some of that comes with experience. Some of that comes with, like you said, failure. Then when you show up in a relationship or you show up in dating, you, you don't have to compromise in yourself. And what you end up doing is from the, from the get-go, you're presenting 
you're presenting something that's true. And so if you present something that's true, you'll, like, you'll have some interactions that just don't work. But that's okay because you are being true to yourself and if it doesn't work, it's just not the energy that you needed to attract. But if you are true to, this, to yourself and you attract something that really vibes with that energy, then you have really the, the ingredients for something that could be sustainable or something that could be enriching. You know, it doesn't have to sustain forever, but really be enriching. And that's what, when I think about relationships, when I think about dating, it's, you know, there's a bit of like self-enrichment, but it's really the enrichment of um, the interaction, the enrichment of two people or however many people. Um, and we spend so much time like in like operating in the world. Like there's so much stimuli. There's so much things that we can't control. And when I think about like the self-discovery, it's like, actually it's like, I'm just like shrinking the locus of control to like what I can actually do. I can control my own learning. I can control my own growth, my own healing. And when I do that, not only am I doing something that's actionable, that's controllable, but I kind of take out all the noise of everything else, all the other things, all the other um, stimuli across the world. And I just focus on the thing that I actually can make a difference in. And that's, and then I think then becomes dating or relationships becomes a lot less intimidating. It becomes a lot more, um, a lot more freeing. Thanks. So do you have any like role models for or that you've seen in the past that have influenced the way you date now? Because I know you've been on the self-discovery journal journey (laughs) to be like more authentic. But I mean, do you have somebody that you've looked up to in the past? I think it's hard because I think the answer is actually no. Mm -hmm. I think if I, if I did, um, you know, I sort of kind of grew up in a non-traditional family and Mm -hmm. I, um, spent a lot of my younger years maybe looking for role models, looking for th- people to identify, looking for the, you know, the optimal, looking to identify like the optimal relationship, the optimal marriage, the optimal partnership. And what I realized is, one, you never truly know another, another person, but another person's relationship. And so you don't, you can only see what you see from the outside. And that's not the truth, not the full story. It might be somewhat true, but not the full story. And so I never really developed like the prototype of what I was looking for in terms of like, hey, I'm trying to emulate what this person's doing. And, you know, maybe it meant that it took a little bit longer to get to this point of self-discovery. But what it did is it sort of meant that my influences were myself and my experiences. And that was very powerful because I wasn't trying to, I wasn't trying to live up to anything. I wasn't, there wasn't this like, you know, unmet expectations because really my prototype was just a vision of myself. And so my role model is myself at age 50, myself at age 60, myself at age 70. And what I then try and do is sort of backwards plan into, well, this is who I want to be as a person at age 50, age 60, when I'm older. And what does it look like to sort of build towards that? So you said you grew up in a non-traditional family. Do you care to elaborate on that? Like, what what does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> so um, for a lot of, so for a lot of my um, childhood, my parents were split. Um, I grew up with a single mom. And so this is, goes back to, 
what's the prototype is like, I didn't grow up where both my parents were living in the same household, you know, and, you know, we, we weren't having like family dinners with like the parents at the dinner table. It was very much, you know, non-traditional. Um, and so in that, you know, I did have many sort of male role models, uncles, um, you know, uh, family friends, but, you know, I remember being a kid and, you know, I'd watch a lot of like sitcoms or like, you know, like, you know, these like prototypical American families. And that was just not, I mean, that was, that's all I knew of the like classic, like two kids, two parents and a picket fence. I was like, that wasn't my upbringing. And so the, a lot of, when I, when I think of like this non-traditional upbringing, it was, I think when I was younger, I just sort of like ascribed to like, oh, I saw this in media. So this is sort of what you need to do. But like all of that is sort of, it's either make believe or it's like the idealized version of, you know, family life. I think the other part of like this non-traditional is like, I also grew up where, you know, a lot of uh, my family was like distributed and we also had a very big family. And so that not, you know, you know, I think part of having a large family is learning how to love many people in different ways and to find different versions of love across those relationships. And I think that became very powerful for me as I thought about myself and thought about how I showed up in a relationship is it took me a really long time to realize that I couldn't expect one person to give me everything that I needed from her, like, in, like from a relationship, but partially I had already known that growing up because I didn't get everything I needed from necessarily my mother or my father or my uncles. I, I sort of kind of, pulled together, you know, what was an amazing family life, but in a non-traditional manner. Mm-hmm. And that for me, I think has really influenced how I've shown up, at least now, how I show up in relationships and how I think about what I, um, what I can give to relationships, but also like what I expect to receive. Mm-hmm. Then do you, do you have like different types of, you know, love? Like what are your different categories of love and how do you show them with other people? Yeah. I think I do actually. And I think there's, there's definitely different versions of how I show up across my relationships, whether they're like romantic or platonic or familial. Um, I think there's like, there's a classic sort of, you know, romantic love. Like there's like this, you know, you know, kind of that like Disney version of young love, like the like classic uh, rom-com version, you know, uh, like kind of make the butterflies in the stomach, like kind of almost like really strong chemistry. Um, but then there's sort of the like intellectual love, the like love of someone's mind, the love of the way they think, the way that they make, they make you think. There's the sort of like the energetic or like you know, energetic in that um, s- someone who, you know, it's not physical necessarily, not like there's like a sexual love, obviously, but there's almost, you know, it's like, the person who makes you want to go and do activities, not necessarily like romantic activities, but just like, Hey, we're going to go explore this random new park, or we're going to go take this, you know, to travel buddy, like this, like exploration love, you know, that, that, that sort of energy. And then there's, I think for me, particularly like there's this emotional love of like being able to bond deeply in um, like in the hurt that is like human, it can be human existence. And like the way that you show up in like the really hard moments, 
that's another version of love. And I think when I think about those categories, I've been in relationships where not everyone, not like a single person didn't meet all of those. And I really had to think about one, is that a flaw of the relationship? Is it a flaw of my expectation of the relationship? Or is it just the, the normalcy of human existence that no one person can really show up in all the different ways or show up in all the different ways at all times? And that really, I think I've had to take a step back over the particularly like recent years to try and understand what are the versions of love that I really need in my life? Where do I get them? And to the extent that one partner fills a lot of it or all of it, that's amazing. But should that be my expectation? And I've come to this belief that I don't necessarily need one person to provide all. So what is a modern relationship to you then? I think that's, I think it's exactly that. It's this recognition that love has many faces, that love doesn't necessarily need to come from one place, and that our expectations of ourselves don't need to conform to like this, you know, the caricatures that we've defined when we were like children. And that may mean like, the providing yourself the freedom to be in love with more than one person. That may mean providing yourself the freedom to have, uh, you know, romantic love and platonic love and not necessarily need one person to provide everything. That may mean allowing you the freedom, yourself the freedom to not want to be in love at this moment. And I think because it's, it's like this idea of modern relationships. It's, it's, I don't know if that's necessarily modern. I think it's just a deconstruction of um, a conservative viewpoint on relationships that probably was developed over like the last you know, 300, 500 years. But I think a lot of what we think of as modern relationships is really hearkening back to the base level of humans as like an animal, like how we are. Mm-hmm. It's the idea that we don't, necessarily need to force fit our relationships to society because society as we existed is actually an evolving character and society looks different now than it looked a millennia ago and even two millennia ago. But recognizing that we have, at least now, we have the, the freedom to really look inward at what we really want, at like what really drives us. And then to match that with kind of what, like with what the to match it with what the world gives us but also like to really think about let me take a step back actually like now more than ever we have like access to people and like cultures all over the world and like we can if you're like really into pizza you can find like a thousand people who love pizza and form a, a pizza podcast and have like everyone listen to pizza right like it's like and if i like we used to live in societies where I had to find love within the, like my village and that was it. Like that was my choice. I was going to live in my village. I was going to die in my village. And that was where I would find love. And that was very constricting. Now we can find love across the world and like nurture that love and like make it like a real thing. And so modern relationships is recognizing the abundance of like access that we have. And so with that, we actually should allot ourselves more freedom to find what we really want. 
and to define what we really want, not within the constraints of like, I have to live in this village and I have to marry someone of my tribe, but really I am this person. I have self-actualized and I know that there is some energy out there. There's some person who will vibe with this energy. And even if they don't live next door to me, they may live in my city or they may live in my state or they might live in, I don't know, in Mexico, but I can send them a message on Instagram and we vibe and that's it. And so I think that's really what modern love is for me, at least, is like recognizing that the constraints that we had around needing to define ourselves within our like society has changed because our society is no longer the village, it's the world. And that means like the diversity of relationships, the diversity of, uh, of people and the diversity of just of ourselves can be met and like received in a different way than it was before. Do you have any tips for men who are, you know, looking to like be more authentic and embrace the, you know, modern love and modern relationship styles? Yeah, it's it's funny. I think I think men are a lot more they won't admit it, but I think men are a lot more conservative. Mm-hmm. Like they they're a lot at least not all men, but I, I know that if I did a random survey of like men I know or men that I know sort of tangentially, how many of them are going through like the process of healing of self-reflection or reflecting on their past relationships, really trying to understand how they show up in the world. And I, I don't think that percentage is as large as the women I know. And I think part of that is, you know, a conservatism in how men interact with one another and the way that we want to show up as providers show up as sort of like the strong male figure. Like it's like we almost ascribe to the caricature more so than women. And so as a result, like showing up authentically becomes harder because I think part of showing up authentically is actually deconstructing the caricature. And so my recommendation is think of all the like, I call them tropes, but think about all of these, um, these models you have for, for manhood or masculinity and then really understand why you ascribe to them. Is it because you were just nurtured that way? Was it just because society kind of, you lived, you grew up in a society and that's the way it was and you now want to fit the ideal of what you think it, things are. But the, the older I get, the more I realize there is no ideal. There's no like version of like, the per, there's no perfect man. There's no perfect husband. There's no perfect partner. You're just, trying to become a better self. And that's my, like, that my recommendation is forget the ideals, focus on self-discovery, on self-growth, and you will hit your version of your, your ideal. And that's how you show up authentically. Mm-hmm. And so then how do you apply all this to like being a black man, you know? Like what would you share with, you know, your son yeah. or the younger generation or people coming up or anybody who is ex- like dating as a black man, because that's a very unique experience. Yeah, no, and it's a good question. And, and I actually, so it's funny. I think I learned very early what dating as a black man can be. And like some of the, some of the like tripwires that I didn't recognize, like my first relationship, and I mean, you can barely call it a relationship, but it was like a middle, like a middle school romance. But, you know, it was like, we were, you know, I was a boyfriend, you were the girlfriend, you know, like we did the thing. Um, but my first relationship ended because um, the girl's father was uncomfortable with her dating a black guy. 
or black boy, I guess at that point. And it was like, I didn't even recognize that I was showing up in a relationship as a black person. I was just showing up in the relationship as myself. Um, but it really made me reflect on one that this, like, first it was like really hard. Cause I was just like, I was like the first relationship. I was like, didn't really know how to you know, sort of navigate that. Um, but also it, like, it really formed this idea around there are certain aspects of who I am that I, you can't sort of fake, you can't like skirt around. Um, like I can, you know, I can pretend to be like, you know, more artistic than I really am, but I can't pretend to not be black. Like I'm, I am who I am. I am who I show up as. And there's also a history of culture of ethnicity that is how I will show up in the world. And so it's not just even the phenotype of being black, but it's the culture of like, I am West African. I like grew up as a child of immigrants. I um, grew up like in a very working class family. Like these are elements of that, like kind of get subsumed into being a black man. And as a result, when I show up in a relationship, I actually, I actually prefer if like very early on in dating, we just have the conversation of, about like what it is, what is it like to be dating as a black person? What is it like to, if not even dating, what is it like to exist in the world as a black person or as me as a black person? What is my experience? And I think what it does is it, one, it lifts this love, the veil of like, look, we all operate in the world. We all have our own traumas, our own histories and, and whatnot. But it allows the the conversation and the relationship to immediately hit a depth that is necessary. And it does it early on so that if for some reason I recognize that the person just can't hit that depth or just like doesn't have the, um, you know, very, very rarely would someone not be able to have the conversation. But like some people just are worried about having the conversation or like scared to broach the topic or like they might be interested in, in like me as a person, but they don't want to they don't even want to put that on the table. Right. Um, and I actually think it's a disservice to dating. If you don't put it on the table, it's the same way. It's a disservice to dating. If you're not talking about how I exist as a man in dating, like it's, it's really important to say, Hey, like I'm a black man. I'm a black man in America. I am a black man dating in America. What does that look like? How do I exist in the world? How do, what are the traumas that that brings up for me? Um, and how does that, affect the way that I show up. And when I ask those questions and I have those conversations in dating, um, I think it creates a much more powerful interaction and also creates a much more sustainable interaction. Because um, no matter how, no matter how comfortable and like, you know, confident I am in any situation, like there will be stuff that happens in the world that like truly affects me on it, like at, at my core. And it affects me at my core because I'm a black man. And in those moments, when those things happen, and we, you know, we see these on TV, they happen you know, on a way too regular basis, I will be showing up that day or that week or that month or that year in a way where that is what's going on for me. And if I can't express that and trust that you understand or at least have created space for me to show up in that way, it's really hard to date. And so that's why like, having those conversations about what is it like to be a Black man dating and having them early on is, I think, very important to me. Do you have any tips on, you know, like when to have this conversation? Like, did you do it on the third date? Did you do it on the first date? And then, you know, like how to even start that conversation with your partner? 
Yeah, I think... I would say... <laughs> like, it depends on, like, I guess what your first date is, but I, I see no reason not to have deep conversations. Like, as I have deep conversations, like, meeting someone at a party for, like, the first 10 minutes, and I'm like... How are, how are you doing? Are your days like, you know, something's going on for you? Like, let's go into it. Like, I'm, I'm a little bit, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say I'm a full empath, but I, I like to create space for people to just tell me, like, what's going on for them. And so my recommendation is that it happens, you know, first, second date, but not like that it's force-fed as like, hey, I want to, by the way, I just like, before we keep going, I wanted to mention, like, by the way, I'm black and should, we, should, <laughs> we should talk about it. Like, no, it's like in the natural discourse of interacting, I will talk about, like, you know, whether it's race issues or blackness or just like my upbringing. And in that is this idea of being a black male. Um, and so my recommendation is obviously when you're comfortable, but also like just bring it up as soon as the conversation hits that point and have, and then have the conversation in a real way. Um, there's, I think it's a disservice to not try and be as true as you can in dating as early as possible because you end up kind of doing this dance of, you know, like, again, trying to show up in a way that you're not or that's not true to yourself and, like, almost playing this idealized version of, like, what a first date should be or, like, idealized version of, like, what early dating should look like. Um, but, like, some of the best dates, some of the best uh, relationships, some of the best partnerships I've had were super real from the get-go. And that's what attracted me to the, to being there, to being like, to like deepening the relationship with someone is like, I didn't feel like I had to hold back immediately or try to pretend like if, if I was having a bad day that day and it was, even if it was my first date, I'm like, yeah, like this was going on for me. And just being honest, like, it's not like that means that I am this person. Like I am a, you know, it just means this is what's true for me in this moment. And I want to be able to express it and feel comfortable that the person that I'm on a date with and who may potentially be romantically interested in me can create space for that. Cause that's what I want out of a romantic partner. Mm -hmm. So then when you're looking for a romantic partner, what is your ideal relationship style? I think it evolves actually. I think mm -hmm. I, I think I've gone through this. I think we all have, but I've gone through this journey of, I want the, I want two kids, a wife, white picket fence. I'm like, no, I like want to be like an eternal bat bachelor and just like kind of like do my best impression of Leonardo DiCaprio. And then, mm -hmm. Um, I think my ideal relationship style is like madly, deeply in love with no need for definition and no need for expectation, but like a true comfort in like knowing that you're at home, like you're at home in that space, in that space with some a person. I think every other aspect of it, whether it's defining, like, um, are we exclusive? Are we not? Are we dating other people? Are we dating other people together? Are we, like, um, all of that, I think, kind of can evolve with time. And as you, like, you know, that can all kind of evolve as you as a couple evolve. But I think for me, it's still this idea of finding a person that I want to go really deep with and evolving together. And I'm open to the way that evolution happens. I'm open to the, the way that, um, like, attraction exists and I, how. It, I, and I understand that attraction evolves. I, I, you know, 
I don't necessarily believe, well, not that I don't believe. I think I have a credible doubt about the sustainability of a single, like, I guess, single monogamous exclusive relationship over a hundred years. Like I picked a hundred as an arbitrary Mm -hmm. timeline, but like, I just, I think in order to get like that sustained relationship, right. It takes a lot of self-work, combined work, collective work, like co-evolution. That's just so hard to do that it became like, and I knew this at a very pretty early age. I was like, that just seems really hard to do. And part of it's like my parents, you know, my parents were split up as when I was a kid. Um, and actually my parents were split up and got back together when I was an adult. So like, it actually is like my view of like what love can look like and how it can sustain itself. It, like it's very different from, uh, from seeing their example. Um, and what I recognize is like, I don't care as much. I like some of the best relationships or like the strongest relationships I've seen weren't fo- so focused on the definition, but we're just focused on sh- how they show up for one another. And that's kind of my ideal is labels aside, how are we showing up for each other? And like every day waking up and want and committing to growing together. And so everything else I think kind of falls to the wayside compared to that. That's awesome. Thank you so much for sharing and coming on this podcast. Absolutely.